We're going to have our main Bible reading now, which is Luke chapter 6, verses 17 to 49. Um, I'm going to be reading from the ESV, so do follow uh, with me if you're able. Luke 16, starting at verse 17, says this. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowds sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? Even for sinners do the same. For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to, back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? The disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that's in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that's in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor, does, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit, for figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? 
Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood rose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Well, do keep that text open. We're going to be looking at that together. As we begin to say there is an outline of where we're going in your service sheet, so do make use of that as you see fit. Some people like to make notes, partly to steady their thinking, but also something to look back on in the week as you reflect further on uh, these words. Also, at the end, there'll be an opportunity for any questions or comments. Um, so I mention that now so you can be thinking through the things in the passage I've not mentioned, um, or you want me to clarify or pursue further things that we've, uh, has been said, that will be your time. But before we go any further, let's pray and ask for God's help. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to look at your word together. As your people, please would you help us to listen to it, to trust it, and to obey it. We ask this that you might be seen amongst us as the God who is truthful, good, and sovereign. Amen. A case can be made that the teaching of Jesus is radically different from that which had previously been taught. The Old Testament is full of God's judgments. You know, the Ten Commandments are a list of judgments on what people can and cannot do. Jesus is now saying, do not judge. The Old Testament is commonly depicted as descriptions of an angry God destroying his enemies. Now it's, love your enemies says Jesus. In the Old Testament, the focus of God's concern were the descendants of Abraham. Now his concern is for the poor and hungry and weeping, according to Jesus. All of this can lead us to the conclusion that the teaching of Jesus is fundamentally new. Is that right? Is the teaching of Jesus new? Now, how we answer that question will raise fundamental issues of how we think the Bible fits together. I mean, one view of the Bible is that it's an account of humanity's evolving understanding of God. You know, it tracks a movement of understanding about God that only finally meets the mark when we get to Jesus. On this understanding, there's not a unity to the Bible other than an account of that evolution. Uh, this, of course, would be in stark contrast with understanding the Bible as an account of God's one plan of salvation. Well, our section begins with Jesus preparing to address the crowds that have gathered to hear him and be healed by him. And you notice there are three groups present, the apostles, the disciples, and the people. And they can all hear what he has to say. Now, Jesus doesn't limit his teaching to insiders only, although here he is primarily speaking 
to the ones who've chosen to follow him. In verses 20 to 26, Jesus describes two groups of people. One that receives blessing and the other that receives woes. Who do you think the two groups are? Well, those who are blessed are described as those who are the poor and the hungry and those who weep. Those who receive the woes are described as the rich, those who are full, and those who laugh. And there's an obvious contrast here, can you see? The poor versus the rich, the hungry versus those who are full, those who weep as opposed to those who laugh. I mean, it would seem that the blessing of God is reserved for the poor, hungry, weeping. Are we to understand that this is who the gospel is for and what kind of people God has a heart for? Is that where this kind of mandate comes from? The key to identifying these two groups are the explanatory remarks at the end uh, of each. Um, So verse 22 to 23, and then again in verse 26. And in particular, the identification with the Son of Man is key. So let's read again verses 22 and 23. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets." Those who are blessed are those who align themselves with Jesus. It is because they have aligned themselves with Jesus that they are excluded, reviled, and spurned. Furthermore, have a look at verse 26. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Here, the condemned are compared to the false prophets. And this is in contrast to the blessed back in verse 23, because there the blessed are compared to the prophets of old. This is of a piece with what we saw Uh, Mary say back in Luke chapter 1. In Luke chapter 1, verses 51 to 52, Mary mentions two groups of people. There are the rulers and there are the humble. And the relationship between the two is that the humble are those oppressed by the rulers. Uh, Mary presumably had in mind the Romans and those like them who use their secular power to oppress. And Mary spoke of a time when God would remove the rulers from their thrones so that the humble would no longer be oppressed. It's the category of the vindication of Israel, that no longer will they be oppressed by secular powers, but that God will act to defeat their enemies and bring them rest. 
It's the same two groups that Jesus describes in Luke chapter 6. So that's to say that Jesus in Luke 6, he's not describing virtues and vices here. He's not saying to weep is a virtue, but to laugh is a vice. The promise is expressed in these terms because that is the two, that's the character of these two groups at that particular time. You know, in a world hostile to God, it's this that explains the character groups. And therefore, of course, it would make, be a mistake to take from this characterization that God somehow prefers poor, hungry, weeping people. This characterization is used because it describes the character of the remnant of Israel at this time. Now, Jesus' point is that this characterization is not permanent. The present condition of both groups of people is relativized by what God will do in the future. The promise here is one of vindication and judgment. The poverty that comes with being aligned with Jesus will be reversed. Hunger will be satisfied. Those who weep will laugh. They don't need to worry. The converse is also true. Those who enjoy a richness in life now because they're aligned with the false prophets, well, that's, that's limited to the here and now. Now, there's a warning here, but there's also an encouragement for the oppressed with the news that their oppressors will not prevail. Well, in verses 27 to 36, the main topic is love and the command to love your enemies. And as we read through um, Luke's gospel, one illuminating question to be asking is how all the different sections relate uh, together. Now, if you study Luke in small sections, then it tends not to be the question that we ask. Because last week, well, that was the blessings and the woes. This week is love your enemies. The question never really arises of how those two relate together. But because we continue to read in large sections, the question can be asked today, how does Jesus, how does Jesus address the issue of loving your, sorry, why does Jesus address the issue of loving your enemies here? And how does that relate to the blessing and the woes? Well, the opposition in view is likely tied to the hatred and persecution of verse 22 that's ultimately tied to being aligned with Jesus. That is to say that the enemies in view here are the enemies of the gospel. They're the enemies of God and his Christ, and therefore by association, enemies of his people. And as it happens, that is a massive theme in the Bible. Um, not least in the book of Psalms. Uh, so, the, uh, for example, the enemies of David are precisely because he's the Lord's anointed. The nations are characterized by their opposition to God and his Christ. So the category of enemies in the Bible is one of hostility to God, his king, and his people. 
Now, the reason given to love their enemies is provided in verses 35 to 36. So reading from verse 35, but love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you'll be sons of the most high for he's kind to the ungrateful and evil. Be merciful even as your father is merciful. Loving your enemies is reflecting who God is. God the Father is merciful. And so his people are to be merciful. The Most High is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. And therefore his people are to be kind to the ungrateful and evil. It's the idea that God's character is the guide for our character. Now, to show them anything other than love is is to give them what they deserve. But God's people are mindful of God's future justice. Those who laugh now will mourn and weep. But now is the time for mercy. And this, of course, puts to bed the idea that this is a new teaching from Jesus. Because this teaching of Jesus is based on the character of God, and God does not change. He has consistently been merciful and kind to his enemies. The Old Testament frequently describes God's kind compassion. The thing that is different, if you can put it this way, is the extent In the coming of the sun, everything is ramped up and amplified. The mercy of God that we see in the gospel is lavish and abundant in a way that we haven't seen before. So too, of course, is the judgment of God. That's amplified too in the way that sins previously overlooked are dealt with full strength at the cross and ultimately in the final judgment. It's in Luke chapter 6, verse 37, that we have a part of the Bible that is possibly the most quoted today, possibly even more uh, now than uh, John 3.16. Do not judge, says Jesus. And it's usually made when Christians make any assessment or judgment on anything, on any subject at any time, as soon as you say something that people don't like, they will say, Judge not. Well, having read more than just the first two words of verse 37, I mean, that can't be what Jesus means, can it? I mean, the blessings and the woes in the previous section are judgments being made on two different groups of people. This section is not about Jesus attacking, making judgments, but how to make the right judgments. Jesus is not saying don't judge, but how to judge. I take it that the very appeal to love your enemies can lead people to being judgmental. No one can become so eager to set everybody else straight that we become blind to our own considerable failures. 
And there are actually two dangers that confront those who pursue holiness. The first is a judgmental attitude. It's one that Jesus rules out here. The second, well, the second is a refusal to make any judgments at all. Well, this one comes from misrepresenting what Jesus says here. And Jesus warns us of them both. Well, we began by asking the question, is Jesus teaching new? It's the idea there's a contrast between the loving and non-judgmentalism of Jesus with the anger and judgment of God we find in the Old Testament. And we've seen that this is to misrepresent Jesus and his teaching. Rather, Jesus speaks in terms of the vindication of his people, of his people imitating the unchanging character of God and of making the right judgments. It's been said that to be a successful person in this world is a terrible indictment on you as a person. It's getting at the idea that the values of the world are not the values of the kingdom of God. You know, the world's characterized by hostility to God, whereas the kingdom is characterized by imitation of God. That's to say there's a stark contrast between alignment with the world and alignment with the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, if acceptance by the world is going to be our measure, you know, if this is the axis on which we assess what we do, then it's only a matter of time before we come adrift. Luke would have us recognise that Jesus is the offspring of, Adam, of Abraham, from whom the blessing of the kingdom comes. You know, align not with the world, but with this one, the Son of Man. Well, let me pray, and I'll open up to any questions or comments you have. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, Luke's gospel and how he identifies for us Jesus as the offspring of Abraham, of whom the blessings of the kingdom come to those who trust him. We thank you for the great encouragement that that is. And pray, please, that we would uh, gladly choose to align ourselves with him and to imitate his heavenly father and to make the right kind of judgments. And this would help us to not only receive the blessings of the kingdom, but to persevere until he returns. Amen. Okay, I mentioned at the beginning there's a time for questions and comments. This is your time. Does anybody want me to clarify anything or ask anything? Okay. okay, let me just repeat the question for the recording and then we'll have a look. So the first question is, 
just to clarify, in verse uh, 37, Luke 6, 37, where it says, judge not, is that um, means don't be judgmental, but that's not a verse to all judgments. And the second question of, in verse 36, it talks about um, the measure that you use will be given to you. And you kind of think, oh, is that not, are we not supposed to be, isn't it God's measure that's important? So therefore, why is our measure the measure of then what happens? All right. Okay. So it's a good start to get the question clear. So, um, so I think it's spot on with the first thing about the judge not. And interestingly, Jesus uses, one thing to look in Luke, he uses very extreme language um, at various points to get the point across. So later on, he will say, unless you hate your parents, then you have sort of no place in my kingdom, that sort of thing. You just think, hang on, have I misread that? And you know, we'll wait till we get there. But he, he's, he, he uses um, strong, or even like um, if you get um, struck on one cheek, turn to the other, and you think, does he, does he really mean that? Or is that, a, is, that is, is there a, do we need to tease out actually what, what's been said here. And so I think this is why it's so misquoted, because judge not. I mean, it's clear, isn't it? Don't judge. Basically, make no judgments whatsoever. I mean, it just means that. But, yeah, it, it can't mean that, because Jesus' teaching is full of judgments. And, you know, we're, we're called to make judgments to discern, not least the false prophets, and discern the Son of Man, and therefore align ourselves with him. So in that sense, it can't mean that. But it seems to, and with the other ones, help, where it says judge not, condemn not, um, you know, forgive, as opposed to make sure you, you forgive. And this is um, basically this idea of bringing people under condemnation when they're not. So this is this judgmentalism. And it, it's, it's got echoes of, well, echoes, because it's, it's forward, in Romans 14, where actually if God has welcomed us, who are we to not accept one another? Okay, so judgmentalism is ruled out. We're not to behave in a way towards one another that makes us feel excluded. Because actually, if God's accepted us, then it's a bit cheesy for us to say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make different judgments on, on people. Um, so I think he's saying it's about making the right judgments. So discerning is in this sort of judgmentalism um, and I think it kind of relates, as I mentioned, about loving your enemies. You know, whenever you hear a call to holiness, one um, response is to say, yes, that's exactly what so-and-so needs to hear. In other words, we, we're more interested about the holiness of other people than about our own holiness. And, it's, and that, that's the whole thing about take this, um, this, um, the log out of your own eye before trying to take the speck out of somebody else's eye. In other words... As my mum would say, tend to your own knitting first, that sort of thing. Um, but uh, that sort of thing. So the second question is about the good measure. So um, so I think it, it comes... So I think you're right, Susie, to be thinking, actually the behaviour of those in the kingdom is supposed to, or is you're required to imitate the king of the kingdom and the god of the kingdom. And so um, 
and that goes straight back to verses 35, 36, which is precisely the point about imitating our Heavenly Father. And so this teaching really, it, Jesus saying, you know, if you're in the kingdom, you've been forgiven much by Heavenly Father. So to then not to forgive others is just, it's just incongruous. It's so incongruous that actually, if you don't forgive other people, don't bother coming to God and asking him to forgive you. That's, that's the kind of the, the argument. Um, and you know, similarly with the being condemned, that actually if we bring people under a sense of condemnation, actually, well, if we see the world the way God sees the world, they're not under condemnation, they've been accepted by God. And therefore, if you don't accept that they've been accepted by God, well, don't expect to be accepted by God yourself. So it's that sort of... But again, it's stark language to say, actually, if we're in the kingdom of God, we need to behave as those in the kingdom of God. Um, now, of course, we fall short, hence big themes of mercy, forgiveness. But at the same time, um, uh, we, do, we do it without excuse, and therefore we're required to um, uh, uh, live this way. So in that sense, I think, yeah, you don't need to worry that it's not like suddenly we're taking control and our measure determines the events. It's more actually the way we measure things is quite revealing about actually how we're relating to God. And this extreme language just sort of pushes that to its limits and says, at the end of the day, if you just don't forgive people, you know, it really betrays that you're in the kingdom at all. And therefore, as it happens, that measure of unforgiveness that you use will ironically be shown to you. Is that cool? Anybody else? Nikki. Thank you, Nikki. So <clears throat> just for the recording, in question 20, talking about imitating God, <coughs> loving our enemies, in 27 it says, to one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also, and find the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Um, gift everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. So what does that look like today, and how does that relate to justice? So I think what is helpful with this is to go back to first century um, Israel and the situation that they're in, because it's actually quite different to us, and that will help us to um, make some initial uh, comments. Because... Um, well, I mean, take Jesus. Okay, Jesus was treated unjustly. Okay, um, he, there were no appeal courts. He couldn't go, he couldn't like take Pilate to court. He couldn't take the Jews to court. They were the courts. The courts were corrupt. 
they unjustly sentenced him to be crucified and crucified him. So there is no appeal to be made. And, and that was the case. You know, Israel is oppressed by the Romans. It's not like you can kind of go to an independent you know, court of appeal you know, or go to the, you know, like, like we do, because we just think any kind of injustice, you go to the courts, if you're not happy with them, you appeal, and you go to European rights of whatever, and you, know, you basically just escalate it up until you kind of get somewhere. But here, if you are downtrodden and oppressed, you haven't got a voice, and therefore your treatment is your treatment. Um, so with that in mind, the question then is, what do you do to your enemies? How do you relate to them? Now, if you ever suffered any injustice, the biggest, well, a really big response is a cry for justice. I want justice. Um, and if we're not getting justice, then we might take it upon ourselves to bring about justice. This idea of revenge, taking it on upon ourselves to sort them out. Now, but Jesus says, actually, now is the time for mercy. But it doesn't undermine his justice because the whole thing of the, uh, the woes in 24 to 26 is those who laugh will mourn. Those who are filled will be hungry. And so this is the idea of being patient and waiting for the return of Jesus where he will vindicate his people and then punish those who persecute them. So in that sense, this isn't a, I'm indifferent to justice, I'm just a wet blanket. This is passionate holiness and justice and it's very powerful because it's saying actually you need to hear the gospel and repent because there is a day of judgment and you will not you know you, you will not endure therefore we're to display mercy um, um, in that sense so I think that's what's so I think that probably sorts a lot of the stuff out now you're absolutely right that um, go to somewhere like is it Romans 13 you know, God has given authorities to punish wickedness, reward, good. So um, if there is a course for um, going to the authorities and, and bringing about justice in an ordered way, not in sort of a personal revenge, then that's, that is part of uh, God's good order to his uh, creation. So in that sense, we're not... Um, which goes back to saying to Susie, you know, this is the thing about um, love your enemies. You know, people have used this to say we shouldn't go to war. You know, basically, I'm not going to do anything. You just think, well, you know, we need to read the Bible in an integrated way and not just absolutize everything Jesus says, particularly when he's using very sort of stark language. But that's um, so where we can do that. But I think the thing that we can forget is that that's not always available. Like when the nation, you know, if, 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 this, if our nation suddenly turns against us as Christians, who are you going to appeal to? Who's the voice? There is no voice other than our hope, a final vindication. And the question then is, well, how do we re relate to those who persecute us in the meantime? And that's where I think this teaching comes in. Is that? Cool. Do you want to say anything, Tom? Time for one more. Ricky. Oh. <laughs> I was hoping to get away with this. Go on then.
Uh, okay. Yes. Okay. So actually, you've asked a lot more than I thought you were going to ask. I, was just, I thought you were going to say, like, what does verse 38 mean? Because you read verse 8, you just think that's just like, what, you know, it just goes on, shaking together, running down, putting your lap. What are you talking about? That's, that's not what we're talking about. So, okay. Oh, for the, oh gosh. So, for the recording, the question is, so if I get this right, I'm just going to waffle. Um, so, in verse 38, it talks about if you give, it will be given to you, and that's used as a kind of a, a promise that you'll receive re- like reward if you do certain things, it's sort of a tit for tat. But then back in verse 35, it does talk about great is your reward, how do you think about it, sort of reward language, what's going on, that sort of thing. Okay, so th- to the language in verse 38, I had to look it up in the commentary, so if you just thought it was weird, then... We're in the same boat. So that's just about um, what happens when you get a fair measure. So the example in the commentary was if you're given corn or like you're buying a grain or something, basically, so that you get a fair measure, there's this kind of a thing they do. They put some grain in, it's shaken, pressed down, more's added. So basically, there's not, you're getting um, the right amount in terms of it's not just lot of air in it or you know you've basically been given a half measure so this is about measure for measure this is about a kind of an equity sort of uh, picture and hence the conclusion with the measure that you use it will be measured to you so that's a kind of a um, a of their day how do you talk about sort of an equitable measure that's what's been described so um, So I think where it says give and it will be given to you, I mean, that has to be taken with the other three. Do not judge. Judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not, you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Okay? So in that sense, this isn't a tit for tat, but this is a, uh, if you bear good fruit, if you behave as one in the kingdom of God, if you are a kingdom of God person, then you will... Um, receive the blessings of the kingdom of God. That's th- so, so describing the judge not, condemn not, forgive, give, they're all characterizations of people who are in the kingdom of God. Um, so that they're not, you, know, you can't um, isolate them and say, and it gets, it's similar to the thing of here, the Beatitudes, where it says, blessed are the poor, blessed are the hungry. And I want to pick out the poor, it's, it's the poor, hungry, Weeping, they're the, that's, that, that's the character group. That, uh, and that's what we're, we're seeing here. So that group that is poor, um, hungry, weeping is to judge not, condemn not, um, forgive, uh, give, that sort of thing. So I think that helps us not to be understanding it as a simple transaction. If you give, more will be given to you. Yeah? 
Um, in terms of the rewards, so I think we get jittery about rewards. Part is a little bit of a question that I think Nikki asked uh, Tom last week about you know the faith of the um, when the, the friends brought the paralytic to Jesus and Jesus says I saw because he, he saw their faith sins are forgiven and we're like whoa 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 no 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 it's faith alone it has to be his faith that is the reason why he's forgiven and it sort of triggers something and you know we, we thought about that if you want to have a think about that listen back to last week but here the um, the reward makes us say, hang on, I thought the gospel was by grace alone. It's the mercy of God. He takes somebody who is sinful and he, for no other reason than he's merciful, he loves us, adopts us into his family, gives us new life, gives us his spirit, forgiveness of sins, a- eternal life, a place in his kingdom. That, that's the mercy of God. And so re- reward kind of presses a button and makes us think, I'm not happy with that. So I think the way to understand the reward thing is to think in terms of what we do now does have implications for eternity. Um, so, and to be, I mean, so, I mean, it's interesting. In eternity, in the new heaven, new earth, you will never have the opportunity to love your enemy. You'll never be able to display the mercy of God in that kind of way and imitate him. And now is your chance to display his character um, as we love our enemies. And that will never be taken away from us. That way of pleasing our Heavenly Father and displaying his character is unique for this time where we live in a world that's hostile to God. And, I mean, it's of a piece with um, store up treasure in heaven. Um, So we might anticipate that loving our enemies, displaying the mercy of God, will cause enemies to rethink. Why are you behaving this way? Who is this God who is merciful? To sharing the gospel, seeing people converted. But that relationship, or A, that service of our Heavenly Father, are pleasing him and him being pleased with our service, that's never taken away from us. That's, that's, that's something that is, is of eternal significance. Similarly, the relationship we have with, well, in that sense, if somebody's converted, that relationship we have with them is extraordinarily special. If you ever led anyone to Christ, that is a very, very precious relationship. And that's, that's never taken away. And so that all adds to our, our joy in the new heaven and new earth. Also, the way we serve one another. You know, we're all going together. And so what we do for one another now, how we serve one another, how we help each other to persevere, to get to know God better, that's pleasing to God. That's all adding to um, our joy, and that's a lasting joy. So I think it's that kind of, um, it's that kind of category of, of pursuing the kingdom values, pursuing kingdom priorities, and because the kingdom lasts forever, they will, that, that will only add to our joy. That will be our reward that will, will, will store up. But not in a kind of a tit-for-tat way, because you know, none of us need to worry. We're all going to be in the heavenly earth. God's going to wipe our tear from every, every eye. But it, nevertheless, it does mean that what we do now does matter. And therefore, it comes as a, an encouragement to think, well, let's, let's pursue the kingdom. Let's 
display kingdom values, not only because it pleases our Heavenly Father, but because it's, um, it's, it's the future. Is that cool? All right, that's a good note to leave it. Let's leave it there. We're going to sing. You, I can't, you can't guess why we're singing this next song. Um, uh, my hope is built. Uh, so do um, stand and sing.